Welcome to the RotoRob.com Fantasy Football Weekly plus ATS Picks. Each week, your hosts, Josh Johnson and Nick Wagner, will give you the goods to help you win your fantasy football crowd. Cash, homie. Talking about passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. Notre Dame, 
and uh, obviously chose baseball as his path. Um, and I just want to read one comment about the story from Yard Barker that somebody posted. Smargin might not only be the best pitcher in Oakland, but he might as well be the best wide receiver as well. Now, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I think, you know, the Oakland game isn't built around a, a passing as it used to anymore, but uh, who, that comment was from somebody named Pell, P-E-L. So I uh, appreciate that comment, Pell. I don't know if that's true, but uh, you made me laugh. So there you go. I there's your moment in the sun here on the Roto Rob Fantasy Football Weekly podcast. Nick, let's get to the football. But of course, we got some more trouble with some Browns players off the field. Uh, in case you missed it, Josh Gordon got himself another DUI. I don't know. I'm sure he probably has at least one um, in terms of all the drug charges as well. Uh, this happened on July 4th, I believe. He was driving. NBA player, recently drafted NBA player P.J. Harrison's car because Harrison was in trouble for punching a kid during a pickup basketball game at the YMCA earlier in the day. Um, what the hell, Josh Gordon? I mean, and the one thing I want people to remember about Josh Gordon is this guy led the league in receiving yards last year, and he was suspended the first two games, Nick. What has this guy got to do to keep his head straight? Yeah, I mean, when you have an appeals case to try to reduce your one-year suspension, how do you go and get in trouble again? Uh, you know, the league substance abuse policy deals with alcohol-related violations differently than other substances. So I, I believe since he's been in the NFL anyway, this is his first DUI. Sometimes players don't get suspended for their first one, but since he's got a track record with other substances, he probably will get at least a one- to four-game suspension. But it won't be like the indefinite suspension he would have been facing if it had been an uh, actual drug-related incident. Um, you know, hopefully he can get his life straightened out, but with the way the NFL handles things, you know, zero contact with the team, which basically removes the troubled young man from a structured organization with people who could help and be a good influence, you know, it just basically leaves the young man with the issues to his own devices for a year and expects him to rehabilitate himself to get that carrot on a stick that is his job in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, it's funny the way that it'd be interesting, though, to see still the way they handled Jim Irsay's situation. The owner gets pulled over for a DWI, had a bunch of pills that were not prescribed to him and $29,000 in cash. Uh, hopefully they penalize him as harshly, if not more harshly, than they penalize the players. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably because, I mean, he is supposed to maybe set a uh, a better precedent. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a good idea. Now, um, now I believe I meant to bring up this clip, and i got to quit saying stuff. I'm going to do it, just do it. But I think last year when Justin Blackman got suspended, I mentioned that he should maybe have dinner with Chris Carter, who, of course, was released by the Eagles after some after some similar things that happened with Josh Gordon. Uh, you know, he went to Minnesota and ultimately became an amazing player for the Vikings. Chris Carter reached out to Josh Gordon and says that, or reached out and said that the Browns maybe just released him. Um, I, I, I know that's Carter speaking from his own opinion, but I mean, I think Chris, you know, you you live through this and you come out. I'm obviously a better person. You're a, we were an awesome player. You're now in the Hall of Fame. Maybe you just need to have a sit down with some of these guys. Some of these guys after their first suspension and said, "Look, you know, this is this is it, man. This is this is where you are. This is how far you've gotten in life. You need to just straighten up." But anyway, uh, what was Johnny Manziel doing with that uh, dollar bill in the bathroom, Nick? 
I don't know. What do most people do with a dollar bill in the bathroom? Hmm. Uh, probably white to eat his butt. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> well, we, and I forgot the main rule that we decided last week. His, now, his new name is Johnny Cleveland. Johnny Cleveland is his name. Um, so now that we've got all that other garbage out of the way, we're going to talk real football fantasy style. Real football fantasy style. Uh, so I'm just going to outline this show here for you. Kicker rankings were up yesterday. I'm sure you're all excited about that. You all got these huge comments because Connor Barth didn't make it or Kai Forbath didn't make it or that rookie from the Lions. can't trust rookie kickers. Just look at my fantasy write-up for the kickers last year. You can't trust those rookie kickers. Their job security is is all but nothing. I mean, if they miss a couple kicks in a game, they could be out, out the door. We're going to talk – in-depthly about AFC defenses today, I have at least one trivia question, maybe three. Um, one specifically for Vani, who's going to join us a little bit later to talk about auction talk. Of course, Nick is going to rant, as he always does, and we're going to dive into this amazing wide receiver the Atlanta Falcons have by the name of Drew Davis. Uh, we'll get to the, all of that a little bit later. But first, Nick, what did you think about the kicker rate? Any comments, any questions? How did I do? Um, well, two players uh, kind of struck me. One was uh, I didn't see Alex Henry, Philadelphia's kicker, on the list. Did I just miss him, or did he not make your top 15? You know, he he did, he just didn't make it. I, I, I had a feeling about some guys, you know, kickers, I feel like, yeah, I think Philly's going to be good. I just don't know about who's going to emerge from that division. And I think, you know, Philly obviously made the playoffs last year. And I think they are going to be a good team. I just – the kickers that – I mean, if we're going to get really in-depth about this, the kickers that I shoot for are guys that are on really good teams like like Hauschka and Prater and Dawson. These are the guys on teams that I think are going to make the playoffs. Or kind of guys that are, are let's face it, are on bad teams that are going to struggle to get to 500 because they're going to have more field goal opportunities. Those guys on really good teams are going to get just loads of extra points. I mean, Matt Prater, I think, had 20-plus 20, 20 more extra point attempts than any other kicker in the league last year. So that, that, I guess that's why Henry didn't make it. You know, there's a couple questions about some people that didn't make it. and It's only 15. It's only a top 15. I mean, I, I can't write about too many kickers. It's going to hurt my soul. <laughs> Yeah, but another guy, uh, Shane Graham from New Orleans, you have there at 15. Uh, I think he will probably be a top 10 guy. Uh, you wrote a little bit about not uh, sure about his job security, but gosh, how many chances did they give Garrett Hartley, who was just awful for New Orleans? It seemed like he was there for five years. So I think Graham's pretty safe bet for one year anyway. Yeah, and I like I said, I had to put Graham on the list. I mean, basically – that that spot could have just said Saints kicker. I mean, just because they have the you know Saints kicker all year long. But uh, yeah, that I just I mean I want like I said I wanted to rank him higher, but you just you just don't know about job security. He hasn't really established himself there. I think he only had two preseason games, or maybe or two two seasons two games last year in the regular season. So I, I'm not not that crazy, but I do want to get him higher. Um, you know, Henry could have made the list. Um, uh, another guy that couldn't make this like New Jet on Cincinnati. I think they are a playoff team, but you, you gotta you gotta cap it at 15. Like I said, I I can't write about more people. Too many kickers. Too many kickers. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's get into the AFC defense. Now let's just start 
Right, and of course, we're going to talk defense this week, AFC, and then NFC next week um, on the heels of our kicker rankings coming out, or excuse me, our defensive ranking, defensive team rankings coming out. Team defense rankings, I should say. So uh, let's let's get it started in, the, in at Denver, uh, in the, out of there in the AFC West. What do you think about this defense? Obviously, they made some three big moves in the offseason to credit, shore things up and get back to the Super Bowl. Who's, who's sticking out in your mind there in the Denver defense? Well, if you look at the defense, they were ranked 27th against the pass, but I think those numbers are skewed a little bit by most teams having to, to, having to try to come back against that high-powered offense they have there in Denver. Like you said, they had a really active offseason, losing Champ Bailey, Wesley Woodyard, and Sean Phillips, Mike Adams, and Dominic Rogers, Cromarty. But they did draft a cornerback, Bradley Roby, in the first round and signed Akeem Tlaib and a really aggressive safety, T.J. Ward, to play there with Chris Harris in the secondary. You hope that Von Miller can recover fully from that ACL and stay off, out of trouble off the field, too. And then they added DeMarcus Ware. It should really help assist the pass rush if he has anything left to think. Uh, yeah, you know, I read about them, and they did make the top 20, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a little worried about Tlaib's injury history. Same thing with uh, Ware. You just don't know what, my, what he's got left of the tank after suffering some some injuries last year, so you're, I'm just a little worried about that. Um, did you mention pot roast? I did not mention pot roast. Okay, pot roast is, is a guy that I think could be a really big key for this guy. Of course, I talked about Terrence Pot Roast Knight in their nose tackle. Uh, this guy made some, you know, had a decent year for them last year, and he's a player that's getting better. I think, uh, you know, having that big guy in the middle that causes havoc and that it's gonna, it's always good for your team and. Uh, you just need them. You need them to stuff the run. You need them to do other things, and that's just ultimately going to make, you know, guys like Vaughn Miller and Trevathan a little bit, uh, Trevathan a little bit better. Um, I too love Roby and I love Ward too. I think Ward's going to be a nice add for them. He's a guy that's going to give you a hundred tackles every year. You know, he did that last year in Cleveland. Is he going to get a hundred tackles again? Maybe not, but uh, you know that's probably a good thing for for Denver if this guy doesn't get a hundred tackles. But he's a guy that's going to come up and help with the run as well. So uh, yeah, you know I think there's there's a few question marks. All you know, like every defense is going to have, but I see Roby Stephenson being a very good player for this team. So they they are going to be I think a fairly decent defense. Certainly better than they were last year. Um, Moving on, what do you think about my Oakland Raiders patch? Like I said yesterday, Nick, kind of a patchwork thing. But, you know, there is some veterans there. I can tell you they did not make our top 20. But uh, you got to think with some veteran leadership, they can maybe help these young guys just mature a little bit better, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you look at the linebacking core, that could be like a stabilizing force given the turnover on the line and in the secondary. All three starting linebackers returned, plus they added uh, number five overall pick, Khalil Mack. Should uh, should be a big-time boost to their pass rush if he pans out. You know, him and along with the new defensive lineman, Justin Tuck and Lamar Woodley, uh, they should be better, I think, than the guys you lost in Lamar Houston, uh, Vance Walker, and Jason Hunter. And you also did an overhaul in your secondary. The Raiders brought in Carlos Rogers and Terrell Brown from across the bay. And, you know, you, you kind of hope that D.J. Hayden, I think, wins the start, moving Carlos Rogers into the slot corner. I think he's a lot better there than as a, one of your top two guys. And, of course, Charles Woodson's back. What do you think about him? Does he still have anything left? 
Uh, you know, they got some other players around that, that can help. I think, you know, Woodson's not an every-down player at this point in time in his career, but, you know, I'm fine for save, you know, for saving him, you know, having him taking a couple series off in the second and third quarter if he's going to be out there making making decisions and being fresh and making plays in the fourth quarter. You, you can't, it's not, it's, it's not, uh, not a bad idea to have a guy of his experience out there. I mean, the guy still made 90, 97 tackles last year, and he made two sacks. So, you know, he's still got some speed, still got some closing speed to make plays. Hayden does have a little bit of an ankle injury that's going to probably cost him some time in training camp. But, uh, um, so we'll see, we'll see how that pans out. But like you said, we did create some good depth. Mac, um, I, I, I would kind of hope that they don't play him every down this year. Um, I, I think he's a guy that they need to kind of gently work into things, and, uh, and, uh, and that'll be better for him in the long run to do that this year. Uh, Love Chuck and Woodley. Hopefully, they can help along the help along the edge, and then of course Antoine Smith in the middle too. I think he's going to be a nice compliment to Pat Sims, who's already done a, done a few good. Had a few good years there at Oakland. So, um, moving on, we think about that San Diego Chargers defense. We kind of expected them to do a little bit more defensively during the draft than they did. Maybe make some bigger splashes. I don't think they really did. But uh, what, what do you think about Nick? I seem to have lost Nick. Whoops. I'm back. As am I. Yeah, okay. Right here. Did you did you get dropped off too? I did. I don't know what happened there. All right. Well, sorry about that, folks. Um, I was talking about Oakland, but uh, you probably don't need to hear me ramble on for. I probably rambled a little longer than I should. Uh, what do you think about that San Diego defense, Nick? Now we expected them to make a little bit bigger moves, I think, during the draft, uh, but. Uh, they didn't really make as big a splash as I thought they were going to do defensively. What do, you, what do you think? They only went defense with three of their packs. I thought they were going to maybe go high, maybe even trade up to get kind of one of these top-notch players. But uh, they did get Verrett in the first. So what, what do you think, Nick? Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, this defense needed to add some playmakers. But they did get two of them in the first two rounds, Jason Verrett and uh, linebacker Jerry Attitude. Uh, you know, they had a lot of injuries last year. Uh, linebackers, Melvin Ingram, he missed 12 games. Donald Butler missed four. Uh, their defensive end, Corey Liglet, played uh, through a torn labrum for most of the year. Dwight Freeney had a torn quad. You know, if all these guys can come back healthy, I think this unit should be a lot better. And if you want to look at uh, their top player, it's probably got to be Eric Weddle. That guy's just a stud at safety. He's pretty much a coach on the field, if you will. It really helps out. Uh, especially given the fact that around him is a pretty young secondary. He can kind of get those guys in position, you know, before the pre-snap. And I think he his his presence helps out that team immensely. Uh, well, and they also did make a splash recently by signing Brandon Flowers. Not quite sure why Kansas City decided to release them. Obviously, it's a business and a money issue. But uh, Brandon Flowers, I think, is going to be pumped to play, especially against those Kansas City Chiefs. And, uh, yeah, I... This team did not make the top 20 either, uh, but uh, the next team did in this division. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, what do you think about this defense? Obviously, they got some some big sack guys, but what do you think, Nick? 
Well, just a side note I want to say, is it any wonder that Kansas City, Oakland, and San Diego all have uh, bottom seven pass defenses last year? Got two games against Peyton Manning. You're probably not going to be ranked very high in passing. But, but uh, as far as Kansas City goes, they have a great linebacking core. Derek Johnson and Tom Bahali, Justin Houston. Uh, but when Houston got hurt last year, it definitely showed this defense was not the same after his injury. Uh, you've got Eric Berry. He's a big-time playmaker at safety. They added linebacker D. Ford and uh, cornerback Philip Gaines with their top two draft picks. But, and, yeah, like you mentioned, that late release of Landon Brandon Flowers, just odd, you know. It was a, he played well from 08 to 2012, but wasn't as good last year. you got to wonder if it was locker room issues or a bad fit or, like you said, the money issue, but just weird timing to do it this late in the offseason. Uh, yeah, I mean, you think if there was a problem there, they maybe would have at least tried to tried to treat him, you know, post or pre during the draft or something. Something to that effect. I know players don't get swapped during the draft too often, but uh, you think that was would have been maybe been a decent idea. Um, and they also like I like Philip Gaines as well. I think um, with if Holly and Houston stay excuse me stay healthy, uh, I think they can work slowly work D Ford into kind of like a third down pass rushing specialist. And uh, another thing that you can just kind of bring this guy along gently and. and He'll end up being a big player and a, and a nice replacement for one of these guys when they ultimately go somewhere else to retire. Um, I got to talk about the man in the middle again, another guy that I really like, and you'll you'll read more about him in the write up. But Ontario Pole, this guy is 340 some pounds, and he made 50 tackles for this team last year, and also had four and a half sacks. Now, for a guy that size to have that kind of impact, um, you know, you don't hear too much about nose tackles. Uh, in the NFL because they just kind of slow things down and plug plug the line, make the running backs bounce outside. But this guy is out there making plays. And it's, I think it's no coincidence that uh, both outside linebackers for this team had 11 sacks because because of Poe. I think he's a, a big reason and a big part of this defense. So, you know, it takes all kinds of people to, run a, to make a defense work. And it's uh, I, I like those guys in the middle, Nick. Uh, moving on, what's uh, – what do you think about the Buffalo Bills now post Kiko Alonso going to be out? Now, I should have mentioned Kiko Alonso, 159 tackles, defensive runner-up, runner-up to defensive player of the year. Um, I'll say that right eventually. Guy played every single defensive snap for this team last year. So, obviously, that is a huge loss. Um, but let's not reflect on that anymore and see what they have. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Well, uh, in Buffalo, their new defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, uh, he's putting in the base 4-3 defense, and he inherits a decent unit, especially up front. This team ranked second in the NFL in sacks last year with 57. It's one of the best defensive lines in football, I think. You know, they've got the former number one overall pick, Mario Williams, uh, Gary Hughes on the other side, who had 10 sacks last year, and a couple of good defensive tackles, too, and Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius. I know uh, Darius had some issues with some drug charges. I'm not sure what the situation is there right now. Uh, like you mentioned, the Kiko, Kiko Alonso injury really hurts them. They did sign uh, Brandon Spikes and Keith Rivers in the offseason and also drafted a Preston Brown out of Louisville. So hopefully those three guys combined can maybe help cover compensate for that a little bit. And uh, the biggest loss to me, I think, though, is uh, Jarius Bird at safety. He was a big-time playmaker there. Yeah, that is a, that is a big loss there. Um, what do you think about uh, – no, just a write-up about 
Preston Brown possibly stepping in and filling Alonzo's shoes. Obviously, it's big shoes to fill. Um, they did bring in a uh, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting his name here. Rivers, former Giant. Is that his name? Did you mention him? Uh, yep, Keith Rivers and Brandon Spice. Keith Rivers. Yeah, they brought yeah they brought in Keith Rivers. Uh, yes, and Brandon Spice as well. Uh, you know, Rivers. It was rumored that Rivers was going to push Alonzo to the weak side because uh, they obviously need his younger, fresher legs to chase. So, uh, you know, they do have veterans to replace replace Alonzo. Obviously, it's kind of a – they're kind of in a in a bad spot. They have some decent veterans in the secondary, too, uh, with Aaron Williams and uh, Leotis uh, McKelvin. Uh, this defense isn't bad. This is a defense that I used actually a lot in fantasy last year. Um, and obviously, Alonzo's a big blow, but I think they could potentially be one of those teams that kind of comes on later in the season and kind of locks things down defensively. It might take them a few weeks to – to figure it out and kind of get their rotation set, but I think they ha- they have a good chance of being a decent team. And, and I and I talk about that a lot in our defensive write ups for next week. Um, defensive write ups is something I didn't do last last year at all, and I think I've only written about maybe one or two defenses in the wire troll last year. So the defense is not really my thing. Nick, I'm an I'm an offensive guy when it comes to football. I really am. Sometimes I even I even skip my defensive when I play Madden. I just sim it. Uh, but uh, I, I really tried. I really sat down and tried to try to get into it. So I think what a lot of defenses do now nowadays is they has is a rotation of players. And it's I think it's bigger than it has ever been where they they have you know three or four or five or six linebackers that they use. They they are constantly rotating people out. And I, and I know that kind of goes without saying, but I'm, I don't think a lot of people realize it. it's not like the same eleven guys play every single down. I think you're going to see a lot more rotation, a lot, a lot of things to keep these guys fresher. And you got to look at a lot of these teams that are stacked. You know, why did why did Philly draft a defensive uh, pass rusher to back up Trent Cole in the first round? It's be, because nobody knows who Marcus Smith is. But it's because they you want to keep these guys fresh and they want to be solid. Um, so let's move on to the New England Patriots. I should say Buffalo is in the top 20. New England is also in the top 20, maybe higher than they should be. What do you think about this defense? Well, you talked about teams rotating guys in and out, and I think New England and Bill Belichick was maybe one of the first to start doing that, uh, just you know, having different guys for different situations and whatnot. You know, uh, they they drafted a Dominic Easley in the first round. Hopefully he'll be healthy coming back from an ACL. Uh, Chandler Jones is also a nice youngster. He faded late in the season, but he did have 11 and a half sacks last year. But you look at all the rest of their defensive linemen, and they're all on the wrong side of 30. Yeah, so you have to wonder about them wearing down late in games and late in the season possibly, especially against the run where they ranked 30th against uh, defending the run last year. Yeah, getting a middle linebacker, Gerard Mayo, back from his torn pec should help, but there are still some questions at linebacker, although Jamie Collins did show some flashes late last year. That secondary on paper completely looks dominant. You know, they lost Akeem Tlaib, but brought in Darrell Rivas and Brandon Browner. Uh, Brandon Browner has to serve a four-game suspension, but when he comes back, that on paper is one of the top secondaries in the NFL. And they've got good depth, too, a lot of young, talented corners. And uh, you look at Devin McCourty, too, played very well at safety last year. Yeah, they got McCourty, and they have uh, Denard's older brother or cousin or whatever it is. Uh, they also had a rookie last year by the name of Logan Ryan who had uh, five interceptions. So he was kind of a guy that was kind of forced to play a little bit more than they probably wanted him to, but he ended up 
being, being some plays, you know, like Dynasty Dan said last week, sometimes those rookie, corner, rookie corners get picked on, and he's responded with five interceptions. So that's certainly something to build on there for for the New England Patriots. Um, yeah, you got to wonder about Will Fork's knee and, our, and how he's going to come back from that. I, I really like Dominique Easley in the middle. I think he, if, if, he's, if he's fully healthy, he could be a big, big energy guy for this defense. Yeah, I love that secondary. You know, with the NFL built the way it is right now, uh, you know, in terms of offense and the passing game, you got to have you got to have four or five or maybe even six quality defensive backs that you can really trust to to help shut this down because you know guys like. Manning and and Breeze, Rogers, obviously Brady too. I know we're talking about New England, but Brady too. They're going to find that open man. They're going to find that weakness in the secondary and find that open man. So you got to have got to have a lot of players out there in secondary wise to help. Um, obviously Gerard Mayo, if he can come back fully healthy too, sounds like he is going to be probable for the starting training camp. So uh, that that should be that should be good there if he can come back healthy. He only gave them six games last year, so. But he did have 55 tackles in the 16. Yep, that's that's going to be a big key there. I think there with Mayo in the middle, and obviously they're built. The secondary's built. Uh, what do you think about Miami, Nick? Now I know you had some problems with them not where they where some people were ranking them last yesterday. What do, what do you think about Miami right now? Yeah, you know it's not like I think the Dolphins are going to be a playoff team, but I've seen them ranked 31st on one site yesterday, and that that just seems way too low for me. But anyway, uh, Miami's got a good defensive line. He's led by the pass rushers Cameron Wake and Oliver uh, Vernon. They had 20 combined sacks last year. Uh, they took Deion Jordan with the number three overall pick last year. He's an athletic freak, but he just really did not play to his potential. Only had a couple sacks, and now he's suspended for PEDs for four games. So you got to wonder what kind of return they're going to see on that investment. Uh, they do have a really solid pair of cornerbacks. Brent Grimes made the Pro Bowl last year, and they brought in the chippy newcomer Cortland Finnegan. Provides a lot of toughness that some teams lack at that position. Uh, the linebackers appear to be a weakness on paper anyway, and I kind of wonder if our boy Jordan Tripp out of Montana, the rookie, might be a, might see the field sooner than he would in most situations, given the lack of talent there at linebacker. Yeah, I think Tripp's going to be a, a, a good player, and I think he's going to have to play. I have to play at this point in time for this defense because, yeah, they're going to need him. Deion Jordan already got the suspension. Finnegan's obviously a great player, and as is Grimes in the secondary. Um, really like really like Wake on the on the outside. I think he could potentially be a could have a better year than he did before. Um, Oliver Fernand too had 11 sacks for this team, so they have some decent players. Um, they did not make our top 20, uh, but uh, I think they're just right on the cusp of making it. You know, the Jets didn't make our top 20, and I talked to Nick about that, and I think that I'm just, oh, I, I think that, I really think they should be involved, but, you know, you got you got to cut it off. you got to cut it off somewhere, and I think the Jets are right on that cusp as well. So let's move on to the Jets. I think they got a great player in the first round. Uh, and Calvin Pryor, I think he's going to be a nice piece to this team for many, many years if they can – lock him up or choose to do so. What do you, what do you think about this Jets defense this year, Nick? Well, they, they were pretty good against the run last year, ranked third in the league, actually. And you've got to look at any uh, Rex Ryan coach team, the defense is going to be the heart and soul. For the Jets, it all starts up front. Sheldon Richardson was the defensive rookie of the year. Mohamed Wilkerson had ten and a half sacks. 
then you look at Calvin Pace with 10 sacks. Clinton Copels, I think, is going to be a lot better this year with an extra year of experience playing stand-up linebacker. Uh, but the secondary was kind of a weakness, and like you said, adding Calvin Pryor in the first round should be a big-time upgrade there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, they have some great players. With, uh, Sheldon Richardson was the was the rookie of the year last year. Um, uh, Wilkerson as well. Uh, but yeah, I think Pryor is going to be a huge a huge piece to this team. And I think Dean Milner could possibly be a, a better player too. He was a first, I think a first round pick for them last year. Um, I think they have some good building blocks. Um, you you wonder about. If, if this offense is going to be better and how that's going to how it's going to affect this team, but I think uh, I think this is going to be a good defense. You know, at times this defense looked really really good last year. They did not make our top twenty, but they certainly have some quality players that can can be very good for this team. And you know, maybe not this year uh, they make our top twenty, but next year I certainly see them in the mix. Uh, just got one more division left here in the AFC. Uh, just got a check from Bonnie. He's going to be probably ten minutes, so that's fine. We still got we still got to talk about the AFC North division. Uh, let's start in uh, Cleveland, Nick. Uh, no, they lost. They lost some players this year. What what do, what do you think they got left? Well, I think this defense is going to be more physical and aggressive with the new coach Mike uh, Mike Patini. Team. I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but, uh, you know, they got him from the Jets, so he brings that Rex Ryan-style defense. Uh, uh, safety Dante Whitner and Carlos Dansby look like good pickups, but then you see that they're just replacing T.J. Ward and Dequell Jackson. kind of feels just like a wash. You know, they, uh, Cleveland, I think, yeah. needs big seasons. They need big seasons from their former first-round picks, Phil Taylor and Barcavius Mingo, both of whom really weren't that very impressive last year. Uh, you know, it surprised me that they – it's not defense-related, but they ignored a gaping hole at wide receiver in the draft when they could add Sammy Watkins. But they did add uh, cornerback Justin Gilbert with that first first-round pick to play opposite Joe Hayes. Yeah, so if Gilbert pans out, I think they could have one of the best cornerback candidates in the league. Yeah, yeah, I believe Hayden. I believe in Hayden a lot. I'm not sure about Gilbert. I'm really not sure about Gilbert. Uh, if he can, if he can step up and be an every down player this year, I, I just don't know. I mean, obviously, it's it's easier for for defensive players to to play more as rookies. Uh, but I still think he's the guy that needs to be he needs to be treated and treated gently. I know I keep saying that. Uh, they also got the little. Small school guy Pierre Desire in the draft who out of Linwood College. Um, I think he could be a decent a decent nickelback for this team, and I think they're gonna need some extra extra help. I just uh, yeah I agree with you about Dan V and Whitmer kind of being a wash for uh, Ward and Jackson. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this team goes forward. And then we do have another division left in, this, in the in the AFC. How soon I forget there's four divisions. But anyway, what do you think about Cincinnati? They they had the big, one of the big steals in the draft, getting dark with Denard that late. What do you think, Nick? What do you think this team has? They, and this team is in our top one. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was a great defense last year, ranked third overall in the NFL. Uh, they're really hoping Geno Atkins returns fully healthy from his ACL. He's one of the best defensive tackles in the league if he's healthy. And aside from Atkins, the defensive line is pretty solid, but without a lot of star power. You know, DeMontepeco's very stout versus the run. They've got good linebackers. I think Vontez Burf 
perfect. Is probably the defensive leader right now. And Ray Maluga is in his contract year. He played better last year than he did the year before, so hopefully he can continue to improve. And I think a strong secondary got even better with, like you said, the first-round pick, Darquez Denard. I don't know how he slipped that far in the draft. And they did need to inject the secondary with some youth, seeing uh, their other corners, Leon Hall, Terrence Newman, and Adam Jones are all getting up there in age. Yeah, but uh, adding Darnett to the Darnart, excuse me, Denard to that mix is certainly going to help. Uh, it's going to help to have him have him around veterans like that, guys that have been very good secondary players. Um, you know, you said Brivik's probably probably the best player on this defense. You know, he had a, a 170 tackles last year, which is ridiculous. But I think really the main cog to this te- defense was. And at least in the past, it's been Geno Atkins. I think this defense lost just a little bit of something when Atkins went down last year, and it was obviously enough to keep them from winning yet another playoff game. I think Atkins is still questionable for a start of training camp. Tore his ACL. It's kind of hard for a 300-pound guy to come back from something like that. Uh, but I think he's a very good player. Um, D'Amato uh, Pico. I think filled in nicely and kind of stepped up when Atkins went down. He's the other defensive tackle on this team. Um, but uh, I think this team needs Atkins to be fully healthy, and he's going he's gonna to help this team get, get over that playoff hump. Perfect is an amazing player, super fast, uh, just can chase down seems like anybody. But uh, I think Atkins is really, really the big key. Um, I love the secondary. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about the New England team, this, you got to have a lot of guys in de- defense, and especially in the secondary, to help shut things down. They have four quality cornerbacks, which not too many teams can say that. Um, I think I think maybe the only only secondary that I honestly like better at this point is possibly Arizona. I think you know obviously the Seattle secondary is awesome, but you're gonna have to wait till the defensive write-ups next week to read more about that. I think I think Arizona might have the best secondary right now, potentially the best secondary right now. Um, but anyway, we'll talk more about them next week. What do you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers defense? I am super excited to see. This uh, Ryan Shazier kid uh, hunt down a possible Cleveland Browns quarterback by the name of Johnny. I think if he gets out, Johnny gets out there against the Steelers, I'd love to see Shazier chasing down. What do you think, Nick? Well, I think Johnny's going to have to beat out Brian Hoyer for a job before he gets on the field. But as far as Pittsburgh goes, they had a lot of off-season changes. John or uh, Brett Kiesel, Ziggy Hood, Al Woods, Ryan Clark, and Lamar Woodley. They brought in Mike Mitchell to play safety from Carolina. I think that's a that's an upgrade, I think, over Ryan Clark. And like you mentioned, they drafted the super-fast linebacker, Ryan Shazier, out of Ohio State. Uh, and they also took a defensive ends on to it in the second round. Uh, this team's going to be a lot faster than they were two years ago. You know, they used to be kind of old and slow, but they've pretty much phased out almost all their older aging guys. They've only got a couple veterans left there. Uh, but, you know, you got to wonder if they're going to be lacking in leadership, especially if Troy Polamalu gets hurt again. That'll leave Ike Taylor is really the only true veteran on that team. But I think as long as Dick LeBeau is around, you have to like the Steelers' chances of being a, fielding a really good defense. Yeah, love, love Shazier. I, too, like Ike Davis. He's a, he's a quality player. They got, obviously, Palomalo as well. I mean, this team has some players defensively. You know, some, some guys are old old and getting up there, but they also got uh, Daniel McCullers off the big, the big 
big. I'm talking 350-pound defensive tackle out of Tennessee. They also got Stephen Tuitt is a guy that I think that can uh, move move to a couple different spots in this defensive line and make some things happen. Uh, uh, Ike Taylor, yes. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been watching the NFL Top 100, Ike Taylor's on there quite a bit, and he is a, he is a funny, funny man. Um, uh, Shazier's going to be in the middle with uh, Lawrence Timlin, Timmons, a f- former Florida State Seminole, 120 tackles up the middle for this team last year. Uh, a good veteran, a good veteran to play alongside him. Um, like I said earlier with Tewitt, I think he can play the defensive end. I think he can play both defensive tackle size and the nose tackle. So it'll be interesting to see how they work him in the mix. This is a this is not a, a superior division anymore, and I think all these teams are kind of creeping closer together. But I think the Steelers have a pretty good product defensively, and uh, it, uh, I think they're probably – not quite as good as Cincy, but I think they might be better than the Ravens right now offensively. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's pretty much neck and neck, as it's been for probably the last decade between the Steelers and the Ravens as far as who has the better defense. Uh, you look at the Ravens, and they're definitely led by their linebacking core. Terrell Suggs and Elms. Elvis Doomerville uh, out on the outside, and uh, they brought back Daryl Smith on the inside, who led the team in tackles last year. And uh, they also added the first-round pick C.J. Mosley out of Alabama on the inside. I think this is a super great linebacking core. And uh, all these linebackers, their best friend could be a healthy Holodi Nada if he can come back healthy from his recent knee problems. He, he's definitely been one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL over the last decade. Uh, they're also pretty solid in the defense. Uh, defensive back, you know, cornerbacks Jimmy Smith and Ladarius Webb, pretty pretty good players. And they also used four of their top five draft picks on defense, so they did get a lot younger too on defense and added some more depth. Yeah, yeah, we made we made light of that in our defensive rankings too. Um, Terrence Brooks is a safety they got out of Florida State. I think this guy is going to step in to be a very good player for them. Uh, obviously. Mosley's in a great spot. You know, a little bit surprised that they went Mosley in the first round, but he's got, like you said, Smith, Suggs, and Dumerville all around him to help. And yeah, not as not as a big key to this team, uh, but I think uh, you know, with all those other players defensively, like I said, not a Smith, Dumerville, Suggs. Uh, nobody's going to be worried about Mosley right away or Brooks, I think, for that matter. So there could be some potential damage from some rookies from this team up the middle. Um, Let's go to the Indianapolis Colts. What do you think about the Colts, Nick? Um, I think the one of the biggest moves of free agency was them getting DeQuell Jackson. They need they need another player that can help this team, especially if they need help up the middle. Um, but obviously, losing Mathis for, for to a suspension right away is going to hurt them. What, what do you think about this Colts defense? Yeah, you, you mentioned they brought in DeQuell Jackson. They also uh, brought in Baltimore defensive tackle Arthur Jones. But, yeah, like you said, the biggest offseason news for this defense was the four-game suspension and down to Robert Mathis, who tested positive for a fertility drug. And that's especially bad news given the fact that they faced Denver and Philadelphia in the first two weeks. You can almost chalk those up losses right away. Uh, uh, they also definitely need someone there to fill the void of uh, safety Antoine Bethea, who left for San Francisco. He was a rock there in the secondary for a long time in Indianapolis. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's certainly a big loss. They got Laron Landry. Um, he's been there a while. And they have Dante Davis, too. Uh, they're going to need both of those guys, I think, to step up 
is, is uh, excuse me, Mathis gone for the first four games, is that correct? I believe it's the first four, yeah. Yeah, eligible, eligible week five return. So that's, you know, that could maybe hurt this team, obviously. You know, it's going to maybe hurt their one win-loss record, but hopefully it can build the rest of this team stronger. I'm a little concerned about their kind of no-name uh, defensive line, but Dequel Jackson is going to help drill Freeman a lot out in the middle. Uh, Freeman had 126 tackles for this team last year. Not a not a guy that gets a lot of press. Small college guy, Mary Hayden Baylor is the college that he went to. Never even heard of it. Uh, it's usually left up to the Oakland Raiders to draft the guys from the no-name colleges. But anyway, Jarrell Freeman was a big player for this team last year. 120 tackles, five sacks, two interceptions. Some of it. Having DeQuell to help him out there in the middle is going to be uh, a big, big help to this team. These guys are in the top 20. Another team that is in the top 20. Uh, that was ranked super high last year by a lot of sites and uh, did not have a good year is the Houston Texans. They made our top 20. I think they're pretty sure they're in the top five. What do you think about the Houston Texans this year? Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how teams handle uh, trying to block both J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. And I, hopefully Lewis Nix the third, especially the third round for some reason, it's Big, big, massive defensive tackle out of Notre Dame can contribute there also as a rookie. And if Brian Cushing can stay healthy, he's a huge asset to this defense. They're not the same team when he's not out there on the field. Uh, and all four starters in the secondary return, and the team also brought in uh, Kendrick Lewis and Chris Clemens to compete there at safety. So they should be better than they were last year. I don't know if I'd put them top five quite yet, but you never know what, uh, what an extra pass rusher like Clowney could bring. Yeah, and Nick's up the middle, too. Uh, that's a good point. You know, Nick's up the middle, Clowney on one side, Watt on the other. Cushy can come back healthy. Yeah, this this team is a uh, could potentially be very dangerous. I, just, I love the big three there with Clowney, Cushing, and Watt. I just think they kind of have, you know, both both edges covered and, and up the middle. So, uh, it, yeah, it, like you said, Interesting to see how this all works out. Uh, but uh, Houston, you know, they 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 kind of hit rock bottom last year again, and they've been there before as, an, as the youngest franchise in the NFL, and I think they, they're certainly ready to turn things around. Um, moving on, what do you think about that Jacksonville defense, Nick? Well, uh, they were pretty active in free agency. They signed uh, defensive linemen, Chris Clemens and Red Bryant from Seattle. Uh, they also added Ziggy Hood on that D-line and linebacker Dakota Watson. But they just had so many holes, you know. Uh, Paul Puzlozny and Jonathan Cyprin are pretty solid players, but there's a lot of question marks about the talent surrounding them there. Uh, they do have a very young secondary that could improve given the experience that they've gotten over the last year. Yeah, they they have a lot of young players on this team uh, on both sides of the ball, frankly. So it's you know they're not in the, obviously in the top twenty. You know somebody's got to be ranked last. I think that say you're talking about yesterday. You said that uh, Oakland was ranked last. I, I I don't know about that. This is the first team that I thought about that should maybe be ranked last. It doesn't nobody really strikes you name wise on this game. So uh, um, excuse me on this team. Uh, did you mention the middle linebacker's name, Nick? Because I need help with his name. Paul. Is that Paul Pozlozny? Yeah. Pozlozny. I'm not going to yeah. 160 tackles this guy up the middle. Obviously, you need your, your middle linebacker to get 
to get 100, 120 plus tackles. So, I mean, 160 is very good. I think that was second most in the NFL behind Burvick and right above uh, Alonzo. So, it's a good thing to build around. Ziggy Hood's a good a good sign. It's one of those things with, you know, one of these teams that don't have all these guys just strike you name-wise, defensively. If they can keep a unit together, there's no telling what this team can do. Uh, Chris Clemens, you wonder what wonder what he's got left in the tank. He only had the four sacks last year. He's getting up there in age. Um, it's it's a, good, a good sign for this team, though, because I think a guy that's kind of been around the block can help a lot of these youngsters. I, I, I'm firm. I'm a firm believer in players helping each other. Obviously, as I keep repeating, uh, and I think that could be a, a good a good thing for them guys. And it, it's maybe maybe it's me, Nick, and I think I may be a few years older than you. It's just kind of weird to say somebody's long in the tooth and see that they were born in 1981 because uh, I was born after or much before that. But anyway, uh, it, it's so weird to think about you know athletes at what what. Some guys are like, oh, yeah, those guys are popular when I was in high school. You know, Peyton Manning was a senior in high school, or senior, I think, in college when I was, was a senior in high school. It's, it's weird to think about that correlation and where we are now, and I'm kind of babbling on. But anyway. Well, Jackson especially when you look up. at running backs, especially when you look at running yeah. backs. Oh, he's 28 years old. He's washed up. <laughs> Get the wheelchair ready. Uh, <laughs> one more team we have to talk about. Um, and it's, of course, the Tennessee Titans. Um, we're going to patch Bonnie through, see if he's got any words about the Titans. What a, let me get my clip up here first. So of course, we had some technical issues, so if, if you suffered through that, we appreciate it. I'm sorry. I don't exactly know what happened. I think my Internet just kind of blibbed and what, whatever. We lost, we lost Nick, too. So. But anyway, let's patch Bonnie through. To and I can't find this clip, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna do this instead. What is up, Bonnie? What's going down? It just never gets old. I love having intro music. It just never gets old. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, uh, that song is from Bonnie's new album, uh, a song called What I Live For. I freaking love that song. I can't get enough of that song, my friend. Uh, but anyway, it's been too long since you've been on the show. Of course, Bonnie is Roto Rap's own Cinnamon Stardom Guru. But today, he is our auction specialist. Now, me and Nick have never done an auction draft before, Vani, so we're, 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 we're what behind the ears, we're greenhorns, whatever you want to call us. Um, what do you think? Let's Actually, before we get started on the auction talk, I have one little trivia question for you, Vani, especially for okay. you. I, I knew this was going to be the question for you. Now, in terms of receptions and receiving yards, who was the Buffalo Bills' leading receiver last year? Oh, leading receiver last year would have oh. had to 
B. Now, obviously, I wouldn't answer this question if, it's, if, if it was an obvious answer. No, 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 no. I'm trying <laughs> to think here. Who, who would have been? Was it? Was Oh, man. Because you asked it that way. Now I'm second-guessing myself in terms of who I, would, who I think it would be. So um, I'm actually going to go crazy and say, you said in receptions and yards, I'm going to say, nope. Oh, you're killing me right now. <laughs> I am, I got it. well, I got to go with a, uh, Robert Woods. I know it's not, but I got to just say somebody. You are not right. Nick, do you have any guesses? C.J. Spiller? Scott Chandler. See, I was going to say Scott Chandler, but he got injured, <laughs> so I thought it, it Yeah. Yeah, he had like 70 more yards than Stevie Johnson and one more reception. So, yeah. Wow. Anyway, crazy, crazy question. Vonnie, what do you what do you know about auction drafts? Now, Vonnie has been with Roto Rob for probably since about the middle of the football year last year when I when I brought him over to my house and maybe made him record that awesome intro for our podcast. Uh, he was talking my ear up about how he stole some guys in the auction draft. So, how, how do you steal guys in an auction draft? Well, how do you, how do you find these trends? Well, the first the first rule is to play with dummies, and then. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. That's the first thing that you want to do. Uh, but if you can't, really what it is, is, is it's, um, it kind of depends on whether or not you're doing the standard league or if you're doing the keeper league. The keeper league is a little bit different, and, and I like those in auctions um, because it gives you a little bit more of a feel of what it might be like to be an actual GM. The one thing about snake, draft, snake drafts is, I mean, a lot of the strategies just really comes into value. If you're somebody that's disciplined on value, you usually get a pretty good team, and you get as good a team as your spot usually can generate auction drafts because you can get a player whenever they come up, you have to take a little bit more of a risk and, and say how how valuable is this person to you amongst all other players versus just receivers and just whatever else. So usually what I feel is, is I mean, um, is really living by the motto, you know, names don't win games. So when you have people who don't really look into the numbers and would maybe pass up on the Nick Foles and maybe only spend $12 on the Nick Foles but would spend $54 on the Tom Brady and doesn't really keep an eye on the fact that, you know, Tom Brady's stats has been pretty steadily declining and is inconsistent in terms of producing more than two touchdowns per game, um, has been declining and things of that nature, that's how you steal somebody like that. Um, in my keeper league, um, if specifically, we had a situation where I, I got uh, Adrian Peterson coming off of injury and I got Peyton Manning coming off of injury. So you were willing to dice a little bit, but in both of those cases, I got, just to, for people who are aware of auction drafts and have done it before, I got uh, Peyton Manning for $17 and I got uh, Adrian Peterson for 23 so if anybody has ever done an auction draft out there, they know that that's absurd because those players are normally going for $50 or better, and that is if you have a $200 um, budget. So to put that in perspective. Yeah. Uh, Nick, do you have any questions there for Vani about auction? 
Yeah, I was wondering, you know, are like uh, tiers on your draft board more important in an auction draft than a standard draft? Say place uh, like seven receivers that you think would normally be second, third, fourth round picks in standard leagues and put them all on a tier and say, I want any one of these guys and X amount of money is the limit that I'll spend on getting any of them? Or do you go more on a player-by-player-by-basis? basis uh, a little bit more player by player, but I, I think you do have to try to put hard value caps on players, um, and so you can get those opportunities. The one nice thing about an auction draft is that because it's so many, because the whole bulk of players are available to you, people don't people. It's harder for people just to follow their list, which means there's usually always a quality player that people just flat out forget about. And the question is, is are you going to have money for that player when it comes up? Because you know that might be a player that you might get from. Four, five, six dollars, um, because people can't go higher than that. So that's what you want to uh, take advantage of there. And the other piece of it is, is that you just want to be really, really organized. In that, every time somebody goes, you want to really inventory who's left, so you can know, hey, um, that's going to change my value. So I would pay thirty dollars for, you know, Andre Johnson. As soon as Andre Johnson goes, the next guy I wouldn't pay more than twenty-five for, and that type of thing. And then you just want to try to set pretty hard caps. And just know that I got, you know, I got three guys. If I got three guys, then my value goes down. If I only got one receiver, then what my cap will go up. You know, and that's um, usually so how what, I go about it. Okay. What are what are some major things that you would never do or never suggest that people do in an auction draft? Is it kind of like um, a don't count your money when you're sitting at the table type of thing, or? It is. Me personally, a couple of things I never do. I never spend more than twenty five percent of um of anything on any one player, of my budget on any one player. You'll see a lot of players, you know, uh, um uh uh Arian Foster for instance in one draft I mean he went for sixty four dollars. You know, that's the you know, that's a pretty big chunk of change when you only have a two hundred dollar budget. And he goes down game two or whatever, whenever you you know, you know, he went down. And so, you know, you, you still have to account for depth and all of those type of things. So the biggest thing for me is that I wouldn't spend more than 25% on, on one particular player. Um, and the other thing is is that I, I, I don't wait until the end. Um, you, know, you, don't, is it, you know, you don't want to you don't want to um, store your money either. You know what I mean? You, you do want to spend, and you don't want to wait to try to get the players because sometimes it moves faster than what you want, and you might have all the money in the world, but the players that you want aren't there anymore. So you just got to kind of play it in the middle a little bit. Can they? And they take forever, doesn't it? Anybody that I know that's done an auction says they can just take the longest time. Uh, again, it, it depends on who you on who you're dealing with. If you got people who kind of know what they're doing, and it goes fairly quick because people are disciplined. Um, you have certain situations where, <laughs> where, just by the nature of it, you know, the auction will go up, uh, you know, a dollar a time. People will bid a dollar at a time. And then you have other uh-huh. other auctions where somebody will start the uh, you know they'll start the bidding off at forty dollars, which is absurd. And so uh-huh. it kind of depends on who you're playing with and how fast it goes and how ridiculous it gets. But you don't want either one of them. That makes either it fast and, and, and silly or you know slow and it just takes forever to get through it. So uh, what I usually do is I usually um, you know because um, you get the nominated player. You, you typically you go through the line, and then you get the nominated player you want to put up on the draft. So what most people do is they would nominate somebody that they would want if they got stuck with them. For somebody that they probably don't, like, really, really, really want, 
So you want to put up as many of those people as possible to try to drive up the bidding on those and force people to take a player that they think they might want, but it's not their favorite player. And the hopes that the better players fall a little bit lower once everybody has spent some of their money. So you have a better position to outbid them. Okay. So what, what about, um, somebody's going into the, their auction drafts this year, um, you know, even if they have experience in drafts or not, what, what are, what are some people who who are some people that you're looking at? Some guys that you think are undervalued. Now you mentioned Nick Foles earlier. I gotta imagine people are gonna be all over him at drafts this year. I think I think a lot of people think thinking big things from him. At least I am. What, what who are some of the people that you're kind of eyeballing? Well, um, I like great. I like players that I like that are changing situations or coming off of injuries to where there's a question mark and you can get value where their low is probably not super low. The RG3 would be a perfect example, you know what I mean, um, where coming off of his year, there's a lot of people who just look at the numbers. There's a lot of people who just go off of what they saw last year, and he might go cheaper than what he would normally go. And so that's somebody that I would go after. Uh, one of the people that I always want to go after at quarterback is somebody like Cam Newton, who for whatever reason doesn't get – you know, is not in the conversation with some of these other quarterbacks like your, you know, like your Peyton Manning's and your Drew Brees and those types of things. But he puts up fantasy numbers uh, because of his rushing abilities and his goal line abilities and things of that nature in the area of those guys. So those guys usually go a little bit cheaper than people would expect. And, and then running backs, too. I think running backs is just having it, just really knowing, you know, what running backs make sense. Fred Jackson is a perfect one. I get Fred Jackson for peanuts every single year. And every you know, and, and Fred Jackson puts a pretty solid numbers, but because he just is not as marquee as some other people, um, those are the type of players that you can get the cheap that can really give your uh, team some depth. So that'd be a few that I would point out. Yeah, I can see your smile right now every time CJ Spiller gets hurt as a Fred Jackson, and you're like, "Yep, here we go again." <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, you know, CJ. Hasn't been terribly durable. Um, Fred Jackson is is a is a sneaky, and that's the other thing too that a lot of people. I, I always try to uh, let people bid themselves out on the Chris Johnson types, the big play type guys. And don't get me wrong, you know they're great to have sometimes, but a lot of those guys people don't really look into what they do in terms of you know each game by game, and people look at you know the average. But with a CJ two K. You have a situation where, yeah, he'll bust off for 194 yards. You're probably going to win that game. But the four games after that where he only rushes for 40 and doesn't catch any balls, you're probably not going to win those games. And so when you have a Fred Jackson or somebody that's going to get you 80, to 80 90, you know, to 100 yards and give you four or five catches for 30 yards and, and stays in the game and we're pretty much all down, that's the guy that I want. You know what I mean? And so those guys almost always go considerably cheaper. And then the other thing, too, is, is that, you know, um, there's some people who just are so locked in on names, you know, that, you know, you know the guys, the guys that are taking the defense in the first round and, you know, that whole thing. So, it's, you know, you got to have a couple of those guys in your draft. That's another important thing. You want to try to get a couple of those guys. In there. So. Yeah, Nick, any more questions there? Yeah, I was wondering, uh, do you ever purposely bid up players that you don't really want just because they're on an opponent's team and you think you can get them to play more? Let's say you're in a bidding war for Matt Forte with a Bears fan, and you think that he's probably willing to go up to 60 or 70 for his man crush. Is it an unwritten rule not to bid up a guy like that just to get a guy to pay, just to get your opponent to pay more for him? Um, I definitely bid guys up, but um, I don't go past my 
uh, whatever my value cap is. So, so you know, I'll do a three tier there. Like, there's three players that I would go over, you know, thirty dollars for, you know, running backs, and there might be a couple. So I'll bid them up, and I'll usually bid them up fast to whatever my cap is. So, I'll, so let's just say, for instance, um, Forte comes on, and the first bid is five bucks. Well, I'll bid them straight up to to thirty dollars. If, if I got him at thirty dollars, I would be okay with getting Matt Forte at thirty dollars. It wouldn't be ideal, but I would be okay with doing it. The, the the thing that that does is that starts the bidding for everybody else at thirty. So that guy is going to bid himself up, you know, to that fifty point by himself. So I don't have to participate. I just want to get the party started, and <laughs> then I want to get out of there, um, so that I don't get stuck paying forty five or fifty, you know, fifty five dollars for a player that I'm not super excited about. Yeah, I, I like that strategy. Now, um, I know you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but when you uh, when you when you when it's your turn to nominate somebody first, do you is it it's probably you say it's best to maybe not nominate somebody that you want? Is that correct? Yeah. So I try to avoid avoid nominating people that I really want for 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 that exact reason. You know what I mean? Like for instance, number one, most of the people you play with in the Austin draft, they know you. And they know you who you like. So if I put up Sammy Watkins for five bucks yeah, <laughs> they know, and and then everybody, then all the you know everybody's gonna bid me up. If somebody else bid, puts up Sammy Watkins, you you might not see me coming, and I can just kind of time it right when everybody's kind of exhausted themselves. So what I would do is, I would put up someone like a like Evans or somebody that I that I like, and I I would be okay with having. Um, and I know that people would be excited about because of maybe some buzz or whatever, but I just don't feel like they're my guy. Um, but if I got them, I would love to have them. So that allows me to, you know, get people in the fray. And if I can get, you know, a couple people to drop, you know, 30, 40 bucks here or there, then when that Sammy Watkins does come up by someone else, you've got to fill out the rest of your roster and you don't have enough juice to, to stop me from getting them if I really want to, you know, get after them. So it's, it's, it's definitely a timing thing. I'm not a big fan of, of nominating who you want because, you know, people want to make sure, even if it hurts their team, they want to make sure you don't get who you want. Yeah. Uh, Nick, any any questions there? Any other questions? Well, usually when uh, when you're heading into a draft, you have a kind of a game plan going in, but plans change quickly once the draft's underway. Every draft's a completely different animal. So in auctions, do you think you need to be more flexible to the changing draft scenarios or even more steadfast to your plan as far as not over not paying more than X amount of dollars for players? Well you wanna have hard you, you do want to have a hard plan, but you want to have the flexibility built into the plan. So so to give you an idea what I do is I do every position and then I'll do three tiers. You know, and then I'll do a dollar range in those tiers. So everybody tries to – you can't really put a hard dollar on it because it depends on who you're dealing with. So I'll say, you know, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, uh, you know, um, even people like, you know, um, Philip Rivers might be one that you might have in there, particularly if you're in a, in a, in a um, in one that's not really counting interceptions or interceptions are half a point or something like that. And then those guys might be, say, uh, 30 to 50 bucks. And then I'll do another tier that might be 10 to 30 bucks, and then I'll do another tier that's less than $10. So if one of those guys in that top tier that I would like to go uh, comes off the board and they go high, then what I can do is is that if I'm at the end, if I'm in the middle of my draft and I only have one quarterback left, then what I'll do is I'll move to my my I'll move my second tier guys up into my first tier, and then I got to be willing to pay more for those guys. But I won't pay any more than that. 
So you're just kind of depending on who you got in your roster. So if half your if, if if you're filling out your roster the way you're supposed to, you stick to you stick to your percentages. You stick to your amounts hard. If you have a situation where you just got a couple great deals and a couple players that you couldn't pass up, and you don't have a tight end yet, and you don't have all your receivers yet, then you got to move those guys in that second tier up to the third, guys in the third up to the second, and then you just got to be willing to pay a little bit more for those guys to make sure that you fill out your your roster. And once you fill out your roster, then you get a little frugal with it. No, we we talked a little bit about Watkins and Evans and some other uh, other rookies there in general. Kind of, what's the pr- approach for rookies in an auction draft, and what's the what's the craziest amount you've ever seen paid for a rookie? Uh, actually, um, uh, when CJ came out, actually, uh, I think CJ went for sixty bucks, which was kind of crazy. Um, and for me, it's it's for rookies, it's situation. I look at situation. There's guys where, um, where their actual individual talent is not so. It doesn't really drive my decision making. Uh, well, it does to a degree, obviously, but it doesn't really drive it for me. For me, it's the situation. What type of coach do they have? Do they have a new coach that's doing a new system that's doing a new thing? What type of division are they in in terms of the defense that they're going against? What type of quarterback situation do they have? How much do they need to throw to? Um, did they replace a number one receiver? Those types of things. So I look at those type of elements. And so to go back to Sammy Watkins, I would deal with a situation where would I spend up, would I spend fifty dollars on Sammy Watkins last year with a first year EJ? No, but with a second year EJ replacing Stevie Johnson and going to a situation where he's going to be more aggressive with the offense, then I might pay more for that rookie because of his situation. You got you know so. It kind of just it kind of just depends, but I, I like to look at situations when I'm dealing with rookies because that that's what matters. You need a, you need a good environment, you need good leadership, and you need opportunity. Okay, now um, what what just just because I am way too curious, I might I might be the the fool that bids way too much for Eric Ebron this year if I tried an auction draft. What 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 about uh, you know rookie rookie tight ends? Is that is that kind of I mean not too many rookie tight ends? Actually, not too many rookie wide receivers that have ever really done awesome. Only a couple of them got over a thousand yards in the last handful of years. Um, what do you think about like Ebron in particular? And um, uh, what about um, you know you talk about guys like situations? I think what a certain person that I thought about when you said a situational player like a rookie is, I think Martavius Bryant could be a very good player for the Steelers. I've said that a number of times, and I think where he was drafted, obviously he's going to be got Lance Moore to compete with there, and uh, and Brown as well, and Marcus Wheaton. But I think Bryant, because of his size, could be a very good player for them. So uh, maybe that's maybe Bryant, Martavius Bryant's more of a piece of advice from from me to you. Uh, no charge for that. But what do you think about Ebron's value? Um, Ebron, I would give him middle tier value. So, which which for a rookie, I would only do you know so that normally most of my rookies are less than ten range. You know, guys at the end of the game where you just you just got a few more dollars than the next guy, you can get them. That's where I like to get most rookies. The middle tier is what I reserve for rookies who have better situations, particularly in positions with which is what I call clip and pile situations where. Um, like, for instance, tight ends where there's about three elite guys and then it goes off a cliff and then there's a pile of dudes. Um, in those types of situations, I might I might reach a little bit more um, just because of the fact that if you can get if you can get a standout tight end, um, those extra points can win you a lot of games. 
Um, then I might do a situation like that. But otherwise, pretty much all all rookies, um, I usually try to get, um, you know, on, on the low because it's, it's really hard to be a standout rookie. Even though we always have standout rookies every year, I think people allow themselves to believe that it happens more often than it does, and it doesn't. And so when you have those five guys that just go crazy, you just think, well, if I can get that guy, then I'm good. Well, you're t- taking that those five guys out of 200 and, you know, however many, you're not, your hit rate is not going to be very good on that unless it's, you know, it, unless it's a, uh, uh, you know, just an absolute, you know, standout. So uh, Eric Ebron, I would probably give a middle value. I probably would pay more than uh, $15 and $17 for him in a, on a 200-budget um, league, whereas, you know, I would pay $30 for Jimmy Graham. Okay. Okay. Um, well, yeah, and you know, I think I, I'm gonna stick on the rookie thing here for one more second. I just, I firmly believe that this rookie class is gonna be very, a very, very special class. I think it's probably one of the best drafts we've seen in a long time, and I'm not the only person that's saying that. Um, one more rookie I wanted to ask you about, and you talked about situation. I don't, I don't know if it was the same with uh, with when C.J. Spiller came out, because I, I too did think he was going to be. A stud, I thought he was going to be a great, you know, a great change of pace guy, but I didn't think he was going to be ever be a number one guy. And I know you're a Bills fan. I'm just kind of just saying what I think about him. But uh, Bishop Sankey, this guy looks like to be in line for at least 200 carries for Tennessee. I mean, he's going to – he obviously has the – the door is open for him to be the guy right away week one. So what does that do to a rookie's value like that? Um. It'll bump it, and, and, and quite honestly, if you really want to get in-depth with it, you can, you know, you can assign things that will bump up a value leading up to your draft. Like, you can assign dollars to something. Like, um, for instance, uh, you know, uh, somebody being – another running back being injured on the roster, whether it's, whether it's somebody ahead of them or behind them, might bump you up three bumps. You know what I mean? If you are going to a new offense that is more run-centric or whatever, then that might bump you up two bucks. So you might bump or whatever. And so what some people may do is, is that they'll put those little kind of things in there. So if things happen, um, like, for instance, if we had a situation where um, let's, look at, let's, look at, uh, let's look at Minnesota or whatever. Now let's just say that Adrian Peterson there and I was putting in another uh, running back. What I might do is if I got a Matt Castle that's looking like he's going to start, I might have that person at a low second tier or – a first year, if he gets injured and Teddy Bridgewater goes in to where you're going to close up some of the playbook and you're going to run more, then that might be a $3 bump. And then I might bump that guy up three bucks. You know what I mean? So I usually do different things like that that will let me increase the value given the situation. So so it kind of just depends on what your feel is for the situation. And going back to that, um, if you think that they're set up to get a lot of touches and, and the person hasn't had an issue with injury and things of that nature – then I would put him into my second tier, you know, in, on the lower end of it, you know, and which so I usually have that have that range for that for that second tier. Okay, uh, Nick, any more questions about auctions there for Vani? Uh, yeah, just given the fact that there's so many quarterbacks now that are big, uh, fantasy starting options, you know, probably a good fifteen almost. Uh, do you think it's better to just wait on a quarterback and instead of spending big money on a Peyton Manning, a Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers, and maybe just wait and get a guy like you mentioned earlier, an RG3 or a Cam Newton or a Nick Foles, somebody like that, and then, and then you have extra money to spend on your receivers and running backs? 
Absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, that's one of those things where there's, you know, there, there, they are those top-tier guys. Those top-tier guys sometimes are not all that much better than the second-tier guys. They just are. And, and I go to Phillip Rivers, where Phillip Rivers, for some people, can slide up into his top tier, where even on his off years, the only thing that you really have to really worry about is the interception. He's going to put up yards, and he's generally going to put up some touchdowns. So I don't have a problem with having him as my quarterback and having, you know, Russell Wilson as my backup or something along those lines. I have no problems with that situation, particularly if I can get a more solid receiver or a running back. So um, you you got to read the room a little bit, and that's the big thing. That's the one thing I like about auction drafts more than anything. It gives you a better opportunity to um, play who you're playing in terms of the people. Um, you know, snake draft, most people are reading off a list. They need a receiver. They take whatever receiver is ranked the highest, and that pretty doesn't go too much deeper than that for a lot of people. But in the auction draft, you can say this person likes these type of guys. He's a spender. He wants to dominate the room. And that's the guy that I'm a bit up, and I'm starting forty bucks on it, and let that guy get to sixty. So definitely, I, I, I don't I, names don't win games. They just don't, you know. <laughs> so you got to get the guy that has the numbers and is the most consistent, and then you got to have the most depth because how many people, you know, um, had Aaron Rodgers, you know, and thought that they were locked in, and then poof. And if you don't have that solid backup, then you know, you're out of there. So when you're one injury away from your team, from your from your whole season being a throwaway season, I, w- I would rather have depth, me personally, and have somebody like a Jimmy Graham that's going to give you 17 points almost every single game. You know, that's just, those are the type of guys that I want. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I, we talked extensively about carrying two quarterbacks or even drafting two quarterbacks last year. Sometimes you just get stuck in that situation where I, you know, we talked about this a lot last year too. I had Luck and Rivers on my team and trying to figure out who to play every week. But I guess, you know, it's better than having one guy that that you're counting on each and every week to win you games. And then if he gets hurt, you're 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 really just kind of stuck with nothing with nothing else left. So, well, and that's what um, I love, like, and that's why I love a player like a Tony Romo, for example. Every single year. The conversation is like, how long are they going to hang on to Tony Romo? Tony Romo so terrible, blah, 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 blah. Tony Romo is not terrible from a fantasy perspective at all. Um, he's terrible if you are if you are Cowboys fans and it's the playoffs, yes. But outside of, that, outside of that context, he's a pretty good quarterback to have, you know. And so a lot of times somebody like him is going to slide and you can get, you can get him from mid or lower second tier value and – you know, and somebody's running up the count on like a Nick Foles right now because he's a hot thing right now. But we all know what happened. Um, what's going? How's the Wildcat doing? You mm-hmm. know, how's the Pistol doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? How it? You know, so when you give these defensive coordinators two years to get you figured out, when you give them an off season to figure you out, the game can change considerably. So people will spend tons of money on the Nick Foles and then let a Tony Romo or let a you know uh, Philip Rivers and let those type of guys fall through the cracks. And those are the guys that, that where you're going to find the most value. Too much risk in that. Okay. Well, that is uh, some awesome, awesome auction knowledge. Um, sorry, I'm slurring my speech here all of a sudden. Uh, it's not even <laughs> nighttime. But anyway, uh, Bonnie, if you can stick around, you are certainly welcome. But uh, we, we do thank you for being our auction specialist and getting us ready. I don't know if I'm going to plunge into doing one right now, but uh, – I certainly feel ready if I need to, so I appreciate your help, buddy. 
Well, I, I am going to take off, but here's what I would tell you. Like I said, the best way to win is to do it with suckers. So you should make your own auction draft, grab about eight other, grab about nine other novices <laughs> that didn't listen to the podcast. There you <laughs> go. That's who you play with. It's a great way to start. So, all right, continue, guys, man. Good, well, good talking to you guys anyway. Yes, sir. And names don't win games. I love it. All right. Have a good one, fellas. Take care. Nick, who the bleep is Drew Davis? Now, I bring this up because this was huge news last week on a lot of sports websites. Drew Davis is hurt out four to six weeks. I'm just like, this guy's an Atlanta Falcons receiver. He's not Harry Douglas. He's not Julio Jones. He's not even Roddy White. Why do we care so much about Drew Davis? It was a major story last week. Yeah, I was a little surprised too. Uh, just you know, he's a. I think he only had a catches in six games last year. And like you mentioned to me earlier, he's at best their number four receiver, maybe even number five if the talk of uh, working Devin Hester into the offense is true. I yeah I. I guess we're just starved for football news because it's training camp hasn't started yet. So anybody who's associated with the NFL that tweaks a hamstring is, or whatever he did is going to be news. Yeah, I, I guess so. But, I mean, I, it should not be a headline, especially, I mean, when, when Julio Jones is the main thing that people are concerned about in there in Atlanta. So um, are you ready for trivia part two? Yeah, bring it on. Okay. Can you name, and we're going to stick with last year, can you name the only team to go undefeated within their division last year? There was only one team to go undefeated in their division? Wow. Um, Was it Philadelphia? No. Coincidentally, there was only one team that did not win a game in their division last year as well. Do you know who that was? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know who that is. That would be my red skin. It was actually the Colts. The Colts were the only team to go undefeated in their division last year. Uh, when what a weak division it was last year. So I guess it, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. I'm not sure why your Redskins couldn't pull one out, but uh, you know, maybe maybe some one of those teams should have started Matt Flynn for that one game, like my Oakland Raiders did when we had to play you. But uh, yeah, so the Colts undefeated in the division. The Redskins not so much. Um, Who knows? If you guys had started Matt Flynn in that game, uh, Jadavian Clowney could be a St. Louis Ram right now. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yes. That's that's true. That's very true. (laughs) Uh, I didn't even think about that. But anyway, it's come time to do a little something that we need to call Nick Rants. Now, this is where I get my call. to rant about something that's bothering him. Nick, what do you got for us? Well, this week it's not really something that's bothering me. It's just a general observation. Uh, So now that the running back by committee is pretty much swept over the NFL, I've had to admit that one of my most trusted draft strategies over the years is outdated and time to be left behind, and that is the need to handcuff my stud running backs with their backup. It was a strategy that did very well for me through the years, but it's just no longer a feasible thing to do. First off, you look at teams that have an unquestioned feature back these days, I'd say it's probably less than 10 across the NFL. Uh, so you're looking at about 20 teams using running back by committee, and I just hate having two committee guys from the same team. 
Uh, every year, mental yeah. health organizations are overrun in the fall by those who drafted D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart and went insane <laughs> trying to decide which one to play every week. I don't need that kind of stress in my life. Yeah, I could see, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh, Le'Veon Bell and the Garrett Blunt being the same kind of scenario there. And so then you look at some of the true number one running backs backups, and those scenarios scream running back by committee if the starter were to get injured. You know, say if Adrian Peterson goes down in Minnesota, Toby Gerhardt's not there anymore, and I just can't see either Matt Asiata or the rookie Jarek McKinnon taking over a lead role. Same goes with Seattle. If Marshawn Lynch gets hurt, it'll be a two-headed monster with Robert Turbin and Christine Michael. You know, I went through the whole league, and I only found, to me, three must-have handcuffs. Chris Polk in Philadelphia. I know they have Darren Sproles, but he's more of a receiver than a, than a between-the-tackles runner. I think Polk would be in for line for a lot of carries if uh, Shady McCoy were to get hurt. Uh, Niall Davis in Kansas City looked pretty good in relief of Jamal Charles in the playoffs last year. And then the rookie, Kadeem Carey, behind Matt Forte in Chicago. To me, those are the only three must-have handcuffs this year. And I think a lot of the backup running backs in the NFL will be drafted too high in fantasy to be handcuffed considerations because people are seeing those backups as flex options in the days of NFL, like uh, Danny Woodhead last year. You know, I'll miss the sense of security that having those handcuffs used to provide, but I guess that'll just make fantasy football that much more exciting. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah, you know, the handcuff thing is always fun because it's fun to to, uh, to maybe handcuff one of your friends after they take uh, 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 Ray Rice or, you know, and by taking Bernard Pierce or, or whatever. It's, it was kind of always fun to do that. No, last year, early, early on when we were still podcasting uh, rookies, um, virgins, if you will, um, we had a guy by the name of uh, – uh, Steve Lazar on. He's known as The Real Breakdown. That's D A Breakdown on Twitter. And this is what he, happened to him. This is what he said about that exact same situation when it happened to him. Ah, uh, and I don't have the clip. He basically. Oh, here we go. This is what he said about when his cousin, our flash friend, drafted Bernard Pierce after he took Ray Rice. Trent, if you're listening, screw <laughs> you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that was just a short clip, but that that was funny. We need to have Steve back on. He's also known as the Black Zach Morris on Facebook. That guy is a character, and we will have him back on. Uh, next week on the show, we will have Corey Parsons from Sirius XM Fantasy Sports making his second appearance on the podcast. Corey is a Dallas Cowboys fan, and last time he was on, I just happened to be the first time that I debuted Hail to the Redskins for Nick. Um, so that was a little <laughs> awkward, but we got past it, and he's gotten past it, and he's going to come back on the show. So we appreciate him doing that for us. Uh, we're going to break down AFC events next week. Make sure you stick to that. And if you know anybody that's got having trouble with their auction, you need to uh, you need to share this podcast for them because uh, Bonnie gave us great, great information. So, uh that is all we have for you this week on the Roto Rob Fantasy Football Weekly Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Nick, have a good week, buddy. You too. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Roto Rob Fantasy Football Weekly Podcast with Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner, and my dad, Joshua Johnson. This is so much more than a fantasy show.